0: to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com/be. Welcome to the CyberTraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones, coming to you from Spokane, Washington. I am host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the books how to be a transformative principal, and School X. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education.
1: Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant normally based in Brooklyn, New York, but coming to you this week from East Hampton on Long Island. It's the first of many bouncing around the country (laughs) (laughs) locations for the summer, so uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. As most of you know or have listened to this program, I am the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices.
0: You can find... Excuse me. Over the... I read the wrong part. (laughs) Over the coming weeks and months, (laughs) it's summertime. It's (laughs) over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit Center for Cyberethics.org.
1: And this is a special shout out to our soon to be, hopefully, friends and partners at the Brooklyn Public Library. The Cyber Traps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, a 501c3, independent, partisan, excuse me. No, we're not partisan. We are (laughs) non-partisan.
0: It really is summertime. Holy cow. It truly is.
1: We need to take a break, Fred. We do. I think we should. Maybe the next couple of weeks. (laughs) I think the next
0: two weeks we should not do the podcast because we need to clear our heads. What do you think?
1: I second the motion. We'll (laughs) see you in July, folks. (laughs) Anyway, a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and the promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through curricula development, research, publishing and media, professional training and public advocacy. Ah, Hello there. Welcome. Thank welcome. you. It is good to be here. Whether I'm all here is a legitimate question, but we're here. Yeah. So, today, speaking of summer, <laughs> it's, no the perfect, <laughs> it's the perfect lead in oh for God. our topic today, Jethro. And that is summer cyber traps,
0: educator vacation, and beach photos. Do not take pictures of yourself wearing anything less than <laughs> wrist to ankle. Close. That's the moral of the story
1: today. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. That, in fact, is not our takeaway. No, no it is not. It's never our takeaway. But no. I think what we're here to do is to offer people some examples of educators who have gotten into difficulties because of the clothing choices that they've made on social media. And to talk about some of the implications of that from a legal perspective, a social perspective, obviously an employment perspective, Uh, there's there's a lot of stuff we could unpack here. But I think what would be perhaps helpful is to give people a couple of examples to start with of things that you know we've run across in our research that are relevant to this, and then we'll go into some of the details. So one of the cases that I Am particularly um, interested in uh, because of the way it played out in terms of the media promotion of American privacy uh, way back when, is a Georgia teacher named Ashley Payne, who was a relatively new teacher in 2010, 2011. And after her first year of teaching, she took a vacation, which we're happily doing. She took a vacation and went off to Europe. Big deal. Hadn't been before. you know. Of course, you're there. You're going to take a lot of photos. And in her particular case, so we're going a little off topic here, it wasn't her clothing choice that was a problem, but it was a vacation photo that showed her very happily sitting at some German bar with a glass of wine in one hand and a beer in the other hand and a big smile on her face. I mean, she was clearly having a nice time, but there was nothing inappropriate about what she was doing or how she was dressed, unless, as one parent did, you take offense to the idea of a teacher drinking and putting that on social media. So that was part of the story. Uh, What ended up happening was that she came back from vacation. She created a Facebook album. Remember, this is 2010, 2011. So the privacy controls were not as granular as they are now. And she dumps about 600 photos onto Facebook. So you can almost say, okay, mistake number one (laughs) was was not editing yourself a little more carefully. And then the other thing is, is a lot of young people do um, more so on Facebook back then than they do now. Now it might've been on Snapchat or Instagram or Mm -hmm. something like that. But she posts that she's going to go out with some girlfriends to a wildly popular Atlanta activity that was called crazy bitch bingo. it was developed by some guy. I have no idea how it was played or why it was called that or whatever. But the same parent who objected to her photo of the drinking also objected to her referencing that game in a Facebook post. Now, keep in mind, none of her students were, quote unquote, friends with her on Facebook. So it had to be an adult who tracked these things down or saw them. And printed them out and sent them anonymously to Ms. Payne's uh, superintendent and her principal. So she gets hauled in, basically, on the first day of classes for her new school year and is told, either resign or we're going to fire you. And without getting the necessary counsel, which we would urge every teacher to do, (laughs) (laughs) she decided that she would resign because she didn't want there to be a black mark on her teaching career and all the rest of that. And by the way, just to skip forward, she is teaching now in Georgia. I actually emailed her about a year ago when I was starting to work on Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0. And she's and, like, can't this story just die, man? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well... <laughs> Yes, more than one teacher has said that to me, so there is a downside to the work I do. In any case, what makes this interesting is that Charles Osgood, who did Sunday Morning with CBS, decided to pick up this story, and one of his reporters, Aaron Moriarty, interviewed both Ashley Payne and myself separately uh, about the privacy implications of what had happened to her. So that was one story that I thought was really fascinating. Much more in line with what we're talking about, Jethro, is a case that arose about three years earlier down in Florida of a woman who was moonlighting as basically a cocktail waitress on a fishing charter. And the, the concept of the fishing charter was that all of the waitresses would either be in bikinis or they might actually be topless. And the fishing boat owner put photos of them up on his website for obvious reasons right he's trying to advertise his service mm-hmm. and the teacher happened to get fired from her district for other things mostly for not showing up to class 30 times in a school yeah. year <laughs> but she it. she alleged <laughs> she alleged that she was actually canned because of the bikini photos on the web and there was a dispute about all of that so those are a couple of examples i wrote about in cyber traps for educators um, certainly encourage people to go look at that but the thing is and this will come as no surprise to you jethro that we are a decade beyond these cases and it's still a problem for educators
0: yeah it really is and the the part of the problem is really that parents and school administrators and others hold teachers to a higher standard whether that's fair or not is immaterial right now because the fact of the matter is that they hold them to a higher standard. And so if you are doing something like the first story of, of Ashley Payne, <clears throat> I've seen that photo of what she's holding up, uh, a wine glass and a beer glass. And um, like, there are tons of teachers who do that regularly. They just don't post about it on social media and share it for people to see. And, and that's what the difference is. And so, Like this idea of privacy, of being able to live your own life and not being judged for it. There are some people who will not teach in the same place that they live for this very reason. So this is not just a. That's
1: an interesting comment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and I have I've had I've talked with teachers who have said I'm not going to work there because I'm going to then that's where I live and I don't want to work there where I'm where I live. In rural communities, you don't have that option because you'd have to drive too far. And in Alaska, you certainly have to teach where you live, where Ooh, I was. Flying.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So anyway, like it's, it's really unfortunate the teachers are held to the standard that, um, that the, the very same parents who are, who are reporting them are often uh, doing very similar, if not the exact same thing.
1: Well, that's an interesting thing here. I will actually diverge a little bit because I'm willing to accept the argument that educators who spend tens of hours every week with these kids, you know, with our children, um, do have a role model responsibility to the children. And I, I think that we can have a great debate and we should have a great debate about what that role model entails. But I think a higher standard can be justified, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's tricky. And I think where it comes down to is that a lot of educators confuse a personal life with a private life. And I think that that's a distinction we really need to spend a lot of time working on educating people about because within the confines of your home or on vacation where nobody knows you, you can enjoy a personal life. But the minute you put it on social media, it is no longer a private life. And that I I think is a, a big and important difference that applies to all of these situations. Now, do I think that some parents overreact? Absolutely. But I think that at the same time, Educators need to be cognizant of the risk that even one irritated person can cause problems. And hopefully, Jethro, as an administrator, you're going to back up your teachers on some of these situations. Like, you know, the edu- it would seem to me the principal and the superintendent should have said right from the get go, she's doing nothing wrong. We'll speak to her about sharing these photos. But she is an adult having an adult beverage in a place where she's allowed to have an adult beverage.
0: Yeah. And, and I do think that teachers are, and should be role models. So, so I agree with you on that point. And I think, I think my issue is that they should be able to have a personal life and be able to make choices there. Um, And some of those choices uh, mean that you should not be a teacher other choices, I mean, it's totally fine to be a teacher. So, you know, if if uh, you are doing things that are harming kids in your personal life, then absolutely you should not be a teacher. But if you are, you know, drinking or taking pictures of yourself in swimsuits or somebody else is taking picture of you in swimsuits and posting those, I mean, those are things that you should definitely not be um, persecuted or judged for because, you know, that's just a natural part of life. And I appreciate that you put in the resources about the teacher who was fired in Omsk, Russia, where I actually lived for six months.
1: Oh, Um, I did not know that. That is awesome.
0: Yeah. So she was fired for posing in a swimsuit as a plus size model. So she's got this other job where she's, you know, working to support her family. (laughs) And, and then she's you know, she's likely not doing that during school hours. Maybe she was. Maybe that's an issue.
1: <laughs> I don't um, think she was, but, but that would be a legitimate
0: issue, right? So, so that would be a problem. But the thing is, is like this is there are some of these things that are just, just ridiculous that people yeah. are being fired for when they are normal, natural, appropriate human things to do. That's right. that's where I take issue.
1: And I absolutely agree with you, Jethro. And I I had no idea about the coincidence of Omsk. But that's that's pretty cool. (laughs) That is very very cool. So yes, there's the plus size model. There's an article about her, but then there's another one in here. Um, And I actually love this because we talk about what responses are there and how can teachers protect themselves, so on and so forth. So almost at about the same time, there was a teacher in Siberia who was engaged in this phenomenon which just makes me shiver to think about it called cold swimming and apparently it's something that the siberians do to toughen yes. themselves up it's true it's real it's bonkers okay so, I, I don't like cold showers let alone jumping into okay, a river so
0: i gotta tell you a, a a side note here that is important yes. to my experience in russia So I was in Siberia, Novosibirsk, Omsk, and Ulan-Ude, which are three cities out there in Siberia. And one of the things to do in the winter is to go out when it's negative 35 or lower and take a bucket and you go out just in your swimming suit and you pour the bucket of water over your head and then you can run back into the apartment building. Now, the very real problem is that because it is so cold... (laughs) and there are metal grates and cement, as you go into the apartment building, there's a very good chance that your feet could get frozen instantly to those things that are so cold and rip off your skin. Now, I put sandals on so that didn't happen to me, but that's a real thing that they do. And there are many of those things, Uh, the polar plunge, uh, all that kind of stuff. That is a a regular occurrence because what else are you gonna do when it's negative 35?
1: Mostly huddle around a fire and drink schnapps (laughs) (laughs) or vodka whatever. (laughs) Put your life in
0: danger. That's
1: what you do. (laughs) Okay. Well, getting back to our topic today, um, we could do a whole different podcast on that for teachers. Risky selfies. Um, So in this particular case, this teacher posted a photo of herself um, getting ready to do one of these plunges. And she got fired. Because she had posted on social media, a parent reported it, and the principal of the Siberian school said, that's not appropriate, you're a teacher, we don't want our kids seeing you in a bathing suit. And there was this wave of teachers across Russia who posted Instagram photos of themselves in swimsuits and bikinis, and they all use the hashtag in Russian, which I have no idea what it Mm -hmm. is, but teachers are human too. And I just thought that was such a wonderful proud response to this. And and in fairness to the Siberian authorities, uh, the educational minister in that region got her a new position, um, in part because of this public pressure from across the nation. So really fascinating stuff. Um, That, you know, kind of hashtag advocacy is very hit or miss. It's going to work sometimes, it's not going to work other times a much more reliable response if a teacher finds themselves in this kind of situation is obviously, number one, appealing to a superior within the school district, You know, whether it's a superintendent or a school board, and of course, getting help from legal counsel if, if it seems like this is just utterly unfair.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are definitely things to do. Um, the thing that is challenging is that you don't always know what is going to be considered inappropriate and right? That's right. that's the beauty of the Ashley Payne story that you shared at the beginning that she was, I mean, I don't know how you could be so upset about that. I mean, that one just doesn't make any sense to me because so many people drink alcohol that it's like it's not even one of those big deals,
1: you know. Well, I can give you another example, though, which is not directly relevant to this, but it matters what community you're teaching in. I don't think Ashley Payne was teaching in a dry community, but she was teaching in a very conservative one. Mm -hmm. So there could have been some religious precept involved. There was a really well-regarded football coach who was hired at a religious school, also in Georgia, um... Would not to pick on Georgia in any particular way, but um, he gets hired to be this football coach. And two weeks before he was supposed to start, he got hauled into the principal's office and a parent had not gone through his Instagram account, but had gone through his wife's. And his wife had been hired um, to do a bunch of very innocuous ads for a vodka company. Mm-hmm. And there was one photo in her feed of her standing holding this vodka bottle and the coach happened to be standing beside her. He wasn't holding it. They weren't drinking. But that was enough because of the values of that school. That was enough for him to lose his position before he even started.
0: Yeah. So th- those kinds of things don't make sense. The The sexual nature of things do make a little bit more sense, but we can't really define exactly what those are. I mean, sometimes... Well, sure, are- right. We can go into the area of pornographic or you know showing um private body parts but there are phrases like racy photos you're scantily clad indecent or risque like what does that even mean and do we have like a a school-based definition that says this is the line you cross and and we just don't
1: no i mean that's that's one of the reasons by the way that i wrote the decency wars Because when Anthony Comstock, back in the 1870s, tried to incorporate the term indecency into federal law, it eventually got struck down by the Supreme Court when the Communications Decency Act was passed, because it's too vague for exactly that reason. We have a definition of what constitutes obscene under American law, and if something is obscene, it loses its First Amendment protection that's you know a very different thing from something that is quote unquote racy or scanty or in you know risqué those are very vague and very subjective terms so we 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 shouldn't be using them to determine someone's employment status the problem is of course is that while teachers do have first amendment rights they're limited in some ways because of the way the courts have treated public employment in particular and of course if you're at a private school as we were just <clears> talking about they can use whatever definitions they want you know in terms of how you present yourself on social media yeah exactly so let's talk about
0: some things uh, as we close up here teachers can do to protect themselves so
1: what what are well can so i jump on? in for just a yes, couple please. of seconds yeah. yeah sorry sorry to do that but i think that let's what are you protecting yourself from? I think is an important way to lead into that. So um, I just want to run down the list of things. And again, this is all in the show notes. So feel free to go in. And if you have any questions, get in touch with us. Uh, one of these days, we'll set up a live call line. Have some fun with that. But OK. Call so, five. So that's, yes. right. <laughs> that's right. right hey, Amy, that's you. Um, so what are the potential risks? Aggressive searches by curious students. You have to know as an educator that kids are curious about you, they will pound the internet to find your social media feeds. So that gives you a pretty high incentive to be careful about what you put out there. Um, Loss of privacy. And if you've seen my book, American Privacy, you've heard Jethro and I talking about it. The concept of privacy is really about the loss of control. So that's when we say you've lost your privacy, you've lost the ability to limit Who sees or who uses your information. Um, Other things, oversharing by friends or family. One of the articles in the resources talks about the fact that there was a photo posted by an educator's boyfriend who thought it was hysterical that he was grabbing her breast while they were on the beach. Everybody's clad, but needless to say, the school didn't think that that was kosher. Um, Posts by second employers, we talked about the modeling agencies, the fishing charters, There is the risk of unflattering photos being shared by a friend, a frenemy, an outright enemy for that matter, Mm. or complete strangers. One of the cases I talk about in Cyber Traps for Educators, I think we've talked about it here, is the Mexican Catholic school teacher who traveled 15 hours to go on vacation. She enters a dance contest at a beach bar, does a bunch of twerking. Some random stranger records her dance, her, by the way, award-winning dance, and then puts it on the internet. And somehow or other, three, four days later, she's being fired by a Catholic school. Um, public criticism and parental trolling, we've obviously talked a little bit about that. There's the risk that these photos can lead to harassment or cyber stalking. Um, obviously adverse job actions. And then lastly, and this is an interesting one that came up in one of the articles, if you're an educator and you're posting your vacation photos on social media, you are basically advertising that your home is empty. So not necessarily the smartest thing to do. So thank you, Jethro, for letting me run that down. You do the responses.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So there are a few things that you can do first and foremost. Number one, just uh, don't ever do anything wrong. I mean, that's the easy one, right? Wait, what? No, <laughs> bad advice.
1: I'm sorry. We have many religious manuals on how hard that is. <laughs> exactly.
0: So you're, you're going to do something that somebody could find offensive, right? I think that that is the best way to yeah. to recognize this is that you're going to do something. Okay. So whatever that is, somebody could be bothered by that. So number one, if you are applying for jobs, just make sure that your social media looks appropriate and that it's stuff that you don't want to be called in to explain. And it's very easy. Just delete those. If, if it is still out there because you can probably never really delete anything that's ever posted, then you can at least say, you know, that was a bad decision. I deleted it. If somebody found out they had to be looking really hard for that, that could be a thing. Excellent.
1: Um, Excellent way to phrase that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and if if it's not on your public timeline anymore, then you can say that was a bad choice and I, I learned from it. Um, review your privacy settings and see who can see what you post. And thankfully, uh, all the tech companies are making that easier and easier to do, which I think is really good. Um, I, I like this suggestion that you put in here, Fred, reflect on the true meaning of friendship. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Zuckerberg has destroyed that English uh, word. <laughs> totally.
0: Um, and then create custom lists that you can share certain things with and not everybody else. It's called close friends on Instagram, for example.
1: Mm.
0: And then the another thing that I think is really smart is instead of posting everything to social media, um, post things to a photo album that you can then share with specific people so that you're not... Um, you know, you're know you not putting everything out there for everyone. So one thing that my wife uh, does – well, yeah, she still does it. She just doesn't post on Instagram as much. She uses this uh, company called Chatbooks, and they take all of your social media pictures, and every 60 pictures you post, they send a book out to wherever you say to send it. So uh, mm. our the old man whose basement we lived in that we call Grandpa, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he loves our family. We love him. And But he's not on social media, but we want him to know what's going on. So every 60 pictures on Instagram, he gets a little booklet in the mail that has the latest things that we've done. And it's just a great way to, to stay in touch and to give something physical to people. And then my wife has a private account so
1: that other people aren't seeing it. That's super smart, actually. Um, yeah. That's yeah. a really nice touch. Let me just interject one thing here. This is um, one of the things I specifically talked about. In cyber traps for expecting moms and dads, in terms of protecting your child from having their photos co-opted and misused, um, much much safer to either use one of these online album options or go old quote unquote old school and actually send out a USB stick, which will cost you like five bucks, or go to a conference and you'll get a handful of them, and you can <laughs> you can send out as many photos as you could possibly want on that. So yeah, just another yeah. option.
0: Those are good. And then um, the other thing you can do is is find some scrubbers. And we've talked to a couple people on this podcast about ways to get your stuff off of the Internet. And and that, you know, involves takedown notices and you're violating copyright. And that takes a lot of time. So, you know, beware of scams that are saying they're going to do that. And then they don't actually do that and recognize that, you know, once something is posted, then it's likely out there in some shape or form forever. And it's very hard to to get rid of those. And then the last thing that I'd like you to talk about is getting legal advice. This is a scary thing for educators because we have this culture of nice. We don't want to rock the boat and we just we don't want to have our future careers jeopardized or anything like that. So how would you suggest people go about getting legal counsel when these things could be coming down the pike for them?
1: Well, I think the first thing to the first response, Jethro, on that is that if you've got one of these situations where a parent is basically trying to get you fired because of something they've seen on social media, then NICE has already left the room. So at that point, what you're really trying to do is figure out how much of an impact is this going to have on your job and on your career? So obviously, first place to go is to your union. If you have one uh, that you belong to, uh, they will be in a position to advise you as to what kind of resources are available from them. If you don't have a union counsel that you can fall back on, then you're basically looking at either hiring an attorney, and you can get an initial consultation for free with most reputable law firms and most reputable lawyers. So You can get a sense of what your options might be. In a particularly egregious case, there's the possibility of getting uh, either the national ACLU or a state Uh, ACLU involved on your behalf. Because the great thing about this, you know, from that perspective is that these are free speech cases in most cases. And these are the kinds of things that the ACLU's around the country take very seriously. So there's a lot of different options out there. It can be scary to do that. But honestly, uh, given how much of an impact a firing for something like this can have, it's worthwhile to see how you can protect yourself. And I do not want to turn this into an advertisement for the legal profession, but I will say uh-huh. that that is their job to help you protect your rights. Yeah, very
0: good. I think that's excellent advice. The only thing that I would add is,, um, and this is this is like a cheat code for your whole entire life. <laughs> uh, make friends with people who are in those type of positions so that, you know, parents of students, if you know uh, one of your students' parents is a lawyer, then become friends with them and reach out to them and say, you know, if something ever comes down, ask for advice and calling somebody up that you already know, who already likes you is a very good step in the right direction. And this is not just about um, lawyers, but doctors, uh, financial advisors, uh, the owner of the grocery store, the butcher, like everybody, if you if you are kind and make friends with these people that you're that you're working with, then you have an opportunity to go back to them later and say, Hey, this is the situation I'm in. What advice do you have? And people love giving advice also. So that's
1: that's a good way to do it as well. I had such a great experience along those lines. It's funny you mentioned butcher because when I was in New York the butcher shop was literally at the end of the little road that we lived on and i did become friends with carl and we got some of the most amazing roasts and turkeys <laughs> as a result did you go in and say hey what's good you know yeah. it works really well that's awesome and that's okay. why i had to work so hard at losing weight when I got it. <laughs> so anyway uh moving on no swimsuit photos for this guy <laughs> I guess, Jethro, it's a good thing that that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to a growing collection of international experts are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology.
0: You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have guest question or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this. Please leave us a five-star rating. We appreciate having you here and we will see you next time in two weeks on July 11th. I guess that's three weeks from now technically, but July 11th will be our next live show. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually.